Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Board Game Breakdown Podcast. In this podcast, we're going to dive deep into a single mechanic or feature that makes a board game compelling. My name is Aaron Hall. I'm your host here. And I just wanted to thank you for listening and being a part of this episode. In each episode, we start by looking at a board game-related feature topic before jumping into a breakdown of a board game mechanic. In this episode, we're going to break down a mechanic in the game Luna Capital. This is one of my favorite games. I'm really excited to talk about it. I feel like this is a game that didn't get as much attention as it really deserves. So I've really been looking forward to shining a little bit more light on it and talking about one of the things that makes this game so great. But before we get to that, let's go to our feature topic. Our feature topic for this episode is Be a Good Learner. A lot gets said about what it takes to be good at teaching board games, but I don't think we hear enough about what it takes to be good at learning board games. For some reason, we talk a lot about one, but the second one just kind of gets ignored. And this topic is near and dear to my heart because I'm the primary board game teacher in my group of friends. Now, I'm not complaining. It's a role that I don't mind. And if I'm being honest, I prefer to be the one teaching than to be the one being taught. I like having time to read the rule book on my own, to watch a rules explanation video, maybe a few turns of a playthrough video if those are available. It gives me a chance not only to learn the game for myself, but to get a feel for the flow of the game. I think understanding the flow of a game is almost as important as understanding the rules of a game, especially when it comes to being able to effectively teach a game. So once I get a feel for the flow, it makes it a lot easier for me to teach the game. And that's something that takes a little bit of time. So I like having that time before having a game night where I can spend time with the rule book and all of the videos that I mentioned and just get a sense so that I fully get the game. That way when we do meet up and we're ready to play it, I can teach it really effectively. As a board game teacher, I can say with confidence that not all board game learners are created equally. And that may sound like an insult. I don't mean it as an insult. It's just a fact of life. So here are a few things that I came up with when I was contemplating this topic. And I think that these can help people be a good learner of board games. So we're gonna run through them here. My first thing is pay attention. Yes, it's simple, but it's worth repeating because this comes up a lot. You can't learn the rules if you're not paying attention. Board games have a lot of little details that matter. So if you're checking your phone or staring off into outer space, thinking about what you're gonna have for dinner, you're gonna miss something important. I can't tell you how many times we get near the end game of a new game and someone in my game group says, you know, wait, I didn't know that the blue tiles turned into victory points at the end or something of that nature. And every time I say as nice as possible, you know, we covered that when we went over the rules at the start and you try to be nice about it because it's okay. Everyone doesn't pick up everything perfectly, but I in particular hate when someone misunderstood or didn't pick up on a scoring rule or a scoring detail because it's easy for them to feel like they were robbed of a chance at victory. Personally, I consider first plays more like a test run or like a tutorial. So it's not a big deal if someone misses something on a first playthrough, but a lot of mistakes and misunderstandings can be avoided if you just commit yourself to paying attention during the rules teach. The second thing I wanna bring up is this. Save your questions for the end. If you've taught a board game ever, you completely understand what I'm talking about. Players will interrupt you 
no matter what point of the rule book you're in and ask, you know, why can't I move diagonally? What if I want to take two tiles instead of one? Are you able to discard more cards if you first paid the penalty to discard the first card? Most of the time, these are legitimate questions. Not all rule books are perfectly clear. They're not these masterfully crafted works of art. Some leave enough ambiguity that you will need to ask some questions and do some digging to figure everything out. But nothing quite derails a rules teach like a sudden barrage of questions. In my experience, teaching a game is all about the flow you're able to have as you work your way through all of the rules. You want to have a good flow that carries the learners through each phase or section of the game. And when you're getting interrupted with questions, especially when it's questions that don't pertain to the part of the game you're teaching at the moment, it's really easy to get off track, not just for the teacher, but for the other players as well. So whenever possible, my suggestion is to try to save your questions for the end. And if you can't save them till the end of the entire rules teach, at least save them for the end of the current section. And then when there's a natural pause or we're moving into a different part of the rules explanation, use that time to ask the questions that you have. My final thing that I wanna bring up is a suggestion that everyone adopt the, what I call the learn as you go method. You could memorize every word of a rule book and still not understand a board game until you play it. Games aren't learned through memorization. I really find that they're learned through experience. One of my favorite sensations in this hobby is when the idea of a rule clicks into the reality of a rule while I'm playing a game. You know, when the card play triggers the effect on my character, which combos into an extra action, the, the light bulb appears over your head and you're like, oh, you know, now I get it. Now I understand. The discovery of mechanics and rules is one of the great joys of board games. So my encouragement to you as a learner is to not get too caught up in having every single nuance and detail memorized before the gameplay begins. Be okay with getting a basic grasp of the rules and then diving in and letting them come to life for you as you experience the game. I think this is the absolute best way to learn board games and it makes life so much easier for whoever is teaching the board game. This is the method my game group uses and I think we have more fun because of it. Sure, there are definitely times when we miss something on the first playthrough, but thankfully I play in a group, my primary group, where that's okay. Nobody seems to get too bit out of shape, even if it's a major rule, or like I mentioned earlier, a scoring related rule that might've changed one of their decisions. And as the teacher, what I'll do is I always go back over the rule book after a first play and make sure that everything went according to plan, that we didn't skip any rules or misplay anything. And if something did go wrong or we missed something, we'll clarify it the next time we play and play it correct. Now, I was curious what the world outside of board games might have to offer on the subject of being a good learner. So I did a little research and here are a few items I came across that I feel like are worth mentioning. Getting regular physical exercise is linked to improvements in memory and brain health. I know that playing board games is largely uh, a sedentary pursuit. You know, you're sitting around a table a lot of times for many hours at once, but most experts seem to agree that getting some sort of regular exercise is helpful not only to your body overall, but to your brain and your memory and just your overall brain health. 
Getting enough sleep is another one that says it, it really helps in your retention and your ability to pay attention. So if you're going into learning a new game, having enough sleep could actually be a big deal. Eliminating distractions so you can focus on what you're learning. That's something we kind of already talked about, but one thing that that reminded me of is, is putting away phones. Now again, a board game night's to have fun. I'm not at all one of those players who think everyone should, you know, check your phones at the door and silence your, your pager and whatever you have, you know. I think that's a little silly. But as a learner of a board game, when someone's taking the time to learn it and they're taking the time to teach you the game, I think taking 5, 10, 20 minutes, however long the teach is, and setting your phone aside, I don't think that's asking too much. A final thing that I thought was interesting is the use of visual aids and how much that helps in learning something. So if you're teaching a game, actually passing around cards or showing cards or maybe playing out a portion of a turn, that really helps. There's a lot of people that learn better that way than just hearing information if they can see it. And so I would suggest as a teacher of a game, thinking about in incorporating that into how you teach. There's plenty more that can be said on this subject, but for now, those are my thoughts on being a better learner of board games. I think it's a skill we can all work on a little bit more and something that's worth thinking about it the next time you're being taught a board game. Now we're gonna move on and dive into a mechanic in the board game, Luna Capital. Luna Capital is a one to four player game designed by Jose Ramon Palacios and published in 2021 by Devere. It's currently ranked 2,417th overall on BoardGameGeek. In Luna Capital, you play as a corporation that is building a settlement on the moon. The corporation that builds the best settlement will have their settlement declared the capital of the moon. So that's a lot of prestige on the line there. You of course win by scoring the most points and you score those points in a few different ways, which I'll explain in a moment. You'll be doing just a few things on each turn in Luna Capital. There's a row of four cards available to choose from and you also have a few of those cards in your hand to start the game. These cards show the surface of the moon with a grid pattern that outlines where you can build buildings on that card. In the four card lineup that's available in the middle of the table, Below each of the cards, there's also a building tile. So whatever card you select, you also have to take the building tile or tiles that are below it. You'll select one of the available cards, take the associated tiles, then you have to play one moon card from your hand and immediately place any tiles you just picked up out into your moon settlement. There are some placement rules that make this tricky and they come in the form of numbers on the moon cards. Each card is numbered from one to 10. So let's say you play a nine. You are allowed three rows of cards and each row can only be built going up or down sequentially. So the only card you're ever going to be able to play to the right of the nine is a 10. Now to the left of your nine, you have options because it doesn't have to be perfectly sequential. It just has to be lower than the nine. So you could, for instance, play a three, but now you've cut out your ability to play a four through eight in that row. You'd think it would be simple to build these perfect rows that start with a one and then go two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But the game seems diabolically built to never make that a possibility. One of the things that makes Luna Capital such a fun puzzle is that you're constantly having to compromise your row numbering. It's not uncommon to end up with a haphazard row of one, four, five, eight, ten, or something like that because it's just the best you could do with what's available. 
Now let's talk about the building tiles that come along with these cards. The game is played across three phases, and each phase is made up of four rounds. In the first round, each moon card has just one building tile beneath it. This feels really limiting, and the first thought you'll have early in this game is that you wish you had more building tiles. You're putting out these moon cards that have usually four places to build, and you've got these grand plans to build huge continuous lines of certain buildings to score combos, but you're only getting one building to put out. Then in round two, each moon card comes with two building tiles, and that feels better, and you're happy about it. Then round three comes, and each card has three building tiles, and all of a sudden you realize that you don't have as much room as you once thought, and none of these cards have the exact perfect building tiles that you need. Suddenly, that's when the game starts to feel a little stressful. And then comes round four, where every single card has four building tiles that come with it. And this is where you just, it goes beyond stressful just to straight panic. You've got to find a moon card that's numbered in a manner that won't ruin your life and will fit in somehow with what you're starting to set up in your settlement. And you've got to hope and pray that the building tiles that are with it will somehow fit within the settlement and won't completely wreck the scoring and that you're trying to go for and ruin your continual rows and the different things that you're trying to build. After round four, a new set of tiles comes out and the whole thing resets to being one tile per card again. It's an incredibly smart system that gives the game this really cool, constantly resetting cycle of stress and anxiety. At this point, I think you have a good enough understanding of the game for me to move and break down the mechanic that I want to focus on here. And that's what is called the Last Arrival Token. Now let's all get on the same page here. One of the worst aspects of any deck building, engine building, tableau building, card choosing, whatever genre, is when your opponent randomly gets some super duper perfect amazing card. It's your turn, you're looking at the available cards, they're all terrible, none of them work for you, but you have to pick something and so you select it. And like in most games, in Luna Capital, the card gets replaced and then shocker, you know, in most games, it's the ultimate winner, super duper, mega points combo card. And it just so happens to be the exact card that your opponent needed to complete their strategy. And then now they're going to score 10,000 victory points. And there's nothing you can do about them grabbing that card on their turn. It's just a complete turn of luck. I can't be the only one that despises when this happens. So I hope you understand exactly what I'm talking about here. Yes, it's random and randomness is a part of life in gaming. I actually love randomness in gaming. Just as often as this thing can hurt you, randomness can also fall in your favor. You can be the one who lucks into the best card in the game or the exact card that you need. But either way, it's the one aspect of any game with card selection that I always wish could be handled differently. And so here I present to you the brilliance of the last arrival token. Remember how I mentioned that it seems like you're almost always presented with suboptimal choices in Luna Capital? That means that this random perfect card and tile drop from heaven has even more weight in this game. What's cool is the designer realized this and introduced the last arrival token. Here's how it works. Whatever the newest card is and its associated tiles, you shift the last arrival token above it. If the next player chooses that card and those tiles, they first have to discard one of the moon cards out of their hand to take it. In most games, making a single discard isn't that big of a deal, but in Luna Capital, it's actually a huge deal. You start the game with three moon cards, 
and each turn you're selecting one more before having to play one. So at best, you have four options available to you each turn. But if you select a card in tiles that have the last arrival token above them, you have to discard one of your cards. So now each turn, you're only gonna have three options available to you. What if the perfect moon card and or tiles drop for you again later, and you once again discard due to the last arrival token. Well, now you're going through the game with just two moon cards that you have to choose from each turn. It's a brutal restricting mechanic that makes a game that already feels really tight strategically feel like a straitjacket. And sometimes you have no choice. The thing that just came onto the board is so perfect for your settlement and it solves whatever issue you're facing that there really is no other choice than to take it. But now you're down a card and you're operating at a disadvantage for the rest of the game. I really hope that I've done a good enough job of explaining how this works because it really is a brilliant mechanic. I have so much respect for the thought that went into this because it solves something that probably would have ruined the game otherwise. In a game that runs this tight, where you're just desperately trying to get the cards and tiles that can allow you to build some sort of a functioning settlement that'll score you points, one turn of luck for your opponent is all it will take to put the game out of reach for you. The last arrival token completely solves it. Yeah, your opponent can still have a great turn of luck and they may still get this incredibly perfect card and tiles that help them out. But by taking it, they're now handicapped for the rest of the game. It lends such a weight to the decision-making in this game because now you're forced to pause and really think about taking that card. Sure, it's perfect, but is this one perfect play worth putting yourself at a disadvantage for the rest of the game? Because I guarantee you, by limiting your options, you'll end up forced into a less favorable move later on because you gave up a card to get around the last arrival token. If you can't tell, I'm a huge fan of Luna Capital and I really recommend it highly. The game was a real surprise for me and I'd love more people to discover it. One thing I'd like to mention is that the game has beautiful components. There's this really cool kind of 3D rocket ship thing that you build that holds all the upcoming tiles. The whole production is just a joy. So if you like games full of strategic decisions, do yourself a favor and give this one a chance. As we close out the episode, I always like to talk about a game that I'm looking forward to playing. It doesn't have to be a new game. It can be something that's been on my shelf for a while or just something that I haven't played in a while, or maybe even something I don't own yet. This episode, the game that I want to talk about is Sobek 2 Players. If you haven't tried this out yet, it's relatively new. It's a two-player game where you're competing against your opponent to collect and sell goods that'll help you earn the most victory points. And it has a really interesting mechanic. Don't be surprised if I talk about it in a future episode, where there's this onk pawn that, depending on what tile you take, points in certain directions and your opponent has to choose their next tile along the line of where the onk is pointing. And it sounds simple and it is simple, but it's also just enough to add this extra layer of strategy in there. I've only played it once, but I really enjoyed it. And for some reason, I just haven't got it back to the table. So I'm excited to give this one a few more plays and see how it holds up over time. And with that, we are at the end of the episode. Thank you once again for being here. I appreciate you coming along and listening to me talk about these games and this hobby that we all love so much. If you'd like to send me an email, please do. I'd love to hear from you if maybe you have played Luna Capital or if you'd like to talk about learning or teaching board games. My email is aaron at bgbreakdown.com. That is Aaron with two A's, A-A-R-O-N. Find us on Facebook by searching Board Game Breakdown 
on Twitter. I am BG Breakdown One, Instagram BG Breakdown, and I'm also on Board Game Arena. So friend request BG Breakdown. Let's play a game together. It's a great website. I love playing games on there, and I'd love to play some games with you. I hope you are having a great week, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.